0: This is All-American Stud, Jonathan Taylor. I'm melting faces in the NFL, and you're listening to the best in the business, my man the Podfather. He knows things.
1: Top 10 takeaways! Oh, oh, Top 10 takeaways, preseason edition. Training Camp Edition, and Injury Edition. That's right. We're going to talk about injuries, injury recovery, with the man Deepak. He's here. Welcome. This is my first guest in the history of the Top 10 Takeaways.
0: Wow, that's an honor. Thank you for having me.
1: This wasn't even my idea. This was Theo Gremminger's idea, our head of content. He was like, you got to have Deepak on. Uh, Deepak Chona, he's going to come in. He's going to, he's, he, you can see he's a sports med analytics expert. It's in neon lights right behind him.
0: <laughs> yes, sir. That's what we're here for.
1: That's right. And so we got to go, bring him on and talk about all the players that are injured or they're recovering from injury or whatever it is. And actually the first player I want to talk to you about is not actually injured at all, but I thought he was, I had a heart attack yesterday and speaking of Theo, he did the thing that I despise. He did the thing that I really frown upon. And that's just a naked, contextless DM text, whatever it is. Oh, no, Rashad White. <laughs> right? That's what he sent me. He's like, Oh, no, Rashad White. And I was like, well, What do you mean, oh, no? Or, or, or it was like, Oh, Rashad White. Like, Oh, good. Oh bad! Oh oh my God, Rashad White! O M G, Rashad White! Oh my God, did he have a breakaway run? Oh my God, is he hurt? What does O M G, Rashad White, fucking mean, Theo? You're killing me, buddy, killing me! And then I'm, I'm I'm frantically searching. Then all of a sudden we have Rick Stroud from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The beat reporters like he went down in a heap, crumpled in a non-contact injury, limped off the field, and I'm like, no! The Podfather curse continues. <laughs> Building drafts around this guy is a zero RB. Anchor it, it, it would have just destroyed those teams. We we're so invested in this guy, way overweight on him. We are the most bullish in the industry on it. Other than R.C. Fisher who thinks he's better than B. John Robinson. We're not going there, of course, but we are you know, higher than everybody else with the exception of R.C. Fisher. So can you explain... What happened? Because today, he's back at practice. He's going through drills. He's explosive. He's jumping. He's running. He's cutting. He's fine. He's tweeting that he's fine. What happened?
0: Yeah, so it, scary injury. The description and the video, it looked like, oh, boy, that could be an ACL when you hear of a non-contact or a buckle, anything like that. And then, of course, the limp all right afterwards. I it, To me, it it all is a very reassuring picture, as you mentioned, the uh, immediate post-like injury, you would you what you would notice is some swelling. And if there doesn't have any swelling, it means inside the knee is very likely fine. And I think that's why they were able to return him so quickly, reassure everybody so quickly as well. But you're completely right to be concerned when a guy goes down like that with a reported buckle. The buckle usually means ACL, maybe meniscus. So we lucked out on Rashad White this time.
1: What happened though? What do you think happened?
0: It, you know, it's, it's one of those things where uh, when you're in the action as an NFL player, you feel your knee buckle, and there is some give to a normal knee. And you feel that, that sort of give moment. And that is enough, I think, mentally to scare people. And uh, it's probably happened to most people who played sports at any level that you think you're injured for a second, you get up, you walk a little better than you thought, and then you have to get checked out. Because at that point, especially in the NFL – They're not letting him back on if he's got a potential injury. So then it starts this whole process of, okay, I'm out. I'm going to get checked out. i got to do the whole nine yards before saying, okay, I'm actually just fine.
1: So we had a superstar breakout in preseason in A.T. Perry. And A.T. Perry's a player that we've been bullish on. We talked about with R.C. Fisher. Again, R.C. Fisher, super bullish. I mean, we're not as bullish on A.T. Perry as R.C. Fisher. We don't have him as a top-five receiver, but – of all the day three receivers, A.T. Perry has a phenomenal prospect profile, the most underrated wide receiver from the NFL draft because he slipped to the sixth round. Didn't make any sense. Now he's on the Saints, and we're way out ahead on A.T. Perry. We're like, well, you need to be drafting this guy in the fifth round of your rookie drafts. Make sure you're after Michael Wilson's gone. After running backs like Evan Hull and some of these attractive day three backup running backs with all-purpose skill sets, once they're off the board, even like a, a Dwayne McBride, he's not an all-purpose back, but he's in a phenomenal between-the-tackles runner. Once those players are off the board, round five in rookie drafts is interesting, especially if it's non super flex. I mean, you, get, you start to dig real deep into the running back, into the wide receiver positions, and there's A.T. Perry. And then to go out, and had like six catches and looked phenomenal, that was a big deal. Like, that's that's really good news. A.T. Perry's putting up six catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown, working with the ones. And then I know Nate List is going on Twitter and being like, I hate to tell you guys, but uh, you know, preseason doesn't matter. And if you're changing dynasty rankings based on preseason, you're doing it wrong. And I'm like, hey. Don't look at me, buddy. I didn't change a thing. We've just been way out ahead on A.T. Perry, and we're not sorry about it. And one of the reasons why is that Michael Thomas has barely played football in years. So talking to you, he's had this full reconstruction of the foot-ankle area, and we know he's not the same guy because he's also 30 years old at this point. So he's a 30-year-old who's played just a handful of games the last three years. And he's had that full reconstruction. He's had revision surgeries. How do you evaluate Michael Thomas's foot and ankle, and what percentage do you think he's going to be playing at in terms of his prior pre-injury explosiveness, flexibility, all those things?
0: Right. It's a really good question. Michael Thomas is one of those guys that has missed a lot of time, but if you look at his injuries a little more closely – it's not as concerning as the number of games missed would suggest. So specifically, we go back to the what was originally a high ankle that he tried to treat non-operatively that caused him. Then when he came to training camp and it wasn't quite right and ended up needing surgery that caused him to miss basically a year and a half or almost two years as a result of a single injury. But that is an injury that people do recover from. Well, and if you look at last year's brief window of performance, he, I wouldn't say he was all the way back to all pro form, but he was showing glimpses of very productive Michael Thomas. And then he had a toe injury and a dislocation. That is the type of thing that players do come back from as well. So individually, these injuries shouldn't totally derail his career and his performance. He is a very high risk player. He is somebody who I would take as a lottery ticket and a plan to have some missed games by midseason. But that's because he's had these recurrent foot and ankle surgeries, and whenever you have this type of issue, you you do have a higher re- injury re-injury rate to that specific anatomic location going forward. But with that being said, he should look about 90% of where he was before last year's injury uh, to start off this year, and that should ramp up over the course of the first four to six weeks if he can stay healthy.
1: So the toe dislocation is what he's currently dealing with. He's currently rehabbing. And he has been full go in camp thus far,
0: right? That's correct. Yeah. It's still an injury that because your toe is involved in pushing off and sort of accelerating that way, it is an injury that does tend to decrease a little bit of performance when players do come back, but not substantially. It's a probably less than 10% hit for Michael Thomas. It's just that you have to factor in that he's now age 30. And the last time we were looking at his performance, he was playing at age 27 basically
1: 90 percent. that's about as rose-colored glasses as i've heard seen on the level of performance that michael thomas is going to be able to deliver compared to his prime michael thomas years my biggest comp for him my best comp for him is actually his best comp on player profiler is also his best injury recovery comp which is michael crabtree michael crabtree had these recurring foot and ankle injuries he was a, a phenomenal possession receiver and the target depth just co- kept going down 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 and eventually by age 29 he was out of the league and we often have this uh you know hope with these players that they can come back remember calvin johnson of course foot ankle knocked him out of the league by age 29 right Julio Jones, foot and ankle injuries. And then by age 32, he's a shell of himself. And, and, and as soon as he hit 30, he wasn't producing consistent fantasy points. And so now that we have Michael Thomas, it's just, there, I've seen this movie so many times. It's like Edge of Tomorrow where I've seen it so many times. It's just playing in a loop in my head over and over and over and over again. I'm like, oh, another 30-year-old. That's been dealing with foot and ankle problems for the last three years. And he's going to, it's it's like one more ride, one final job, right? It's like the movie Heat, right? One final job. Okay, the, after we're, I'm retiring, one big bank heist, and then I retire. That's how they sell it to us, right? Julio Jones and the Titans, right? One final job. And I'm like, who is falling for this?
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's a good point. I, I would say to that, though, I, I wouldn't say 90% of Michael Thomas' prime. I would say 90% of where he was in that brief window last year. So oh. I, I think that was already a step down oh. because he had missed two years oh. from where Michael Thomas' prime was. So I'm with you on overall. Like he's not. I'm not looking at Michael Thomas as a ceiling wide receiver one, but could he be a serviceable player in a flex role? Probably very likely, yes.
1: The yards per reception has just been in constant decline, right? 2019, 11.6. That wasn't even that good, but he was prolific. Right. Right. And it's 11. Then it's 10.7. And it's also reminiscent of another 30-year-old receiver from the previous draft class, one draft class earlier, which is Allen Robinson. Right? So, to me, he just doesn't have the full washed-out year where he was healthy and not very productive, Super dusty, right? Healthy and dusty. He doesn't have the healthy, dusty year on his resume. We can point to him and be like, okay, this guy's gone. He's over. Right. Right. We have that with Allen Robinson. We just don't have that yet because we don't, he just hasn't been available to show us how Mm -hmm. dusty he is. So, this is what Allen Robinson's going to be this year. He's going to be this possession slot receiver in Pittsburgh and he's gonna have a couple of weeks and he's gonna score some touchdowns and I think that's great for Allen Robinson. And I think that's about what you can expect from Michael Thomas. And the presence of Michael Thomas should not dissuade you from going out and picking up AT Perry in Dynasty, from uh you know, investing in let's say Chris Olave, first and foremost, but all members of this receiving core, right? From Juwan Johnson on down, the the to me, an acquisition of Michael Thomas, especially in dynasty, is just a wasted roster spot, right? I'd rather have Rashid Shaheed, right? I'd rather have a guy that actually has upside who could be something special in a slot or stretch position where he's young, he has tantalizing athleticism that can be put to good use on an NFL football field. Michael Thomas doesn't have those things, But he is, I agree with you, going to get 90% of the snaps and targets that he did last year, and he's going to put up 50 yards a game.
0: Yeah, I think that's a reasonable expectation, fully in line with your logic, and then add in the fact that he's very likely to miss a little bit of time here and there for some recurrence of these types of injuries now that he has this weak point we've identified.
1: Just a wasted pick. Waste. Waste. You're not saying it's a waste. I'm saying it's a waste. Right. (laughs) Now... Uh, on the other end i've heard that matthew stafford's dust it's moving on from matthew stafford like he's already dust like we didn't get to see it last year cuz he didn't play the full year but you know trust me he's gone right and what i saw last year was matthew stafford throwing to cooper cup a lot and having success and then i saw cooper cup get injured i saw matthew stafford get injured and he has a the the neck spine injury which is always a big concern but to me There isn't this calendar years going by of this guy not playing. He had a neck problem. It wasn't Peyton Manning level going to Germany to get spinal fusion, right? Mm -hmm. He had a neck problem. He got it addressed. He's been full going camp. I'm not concerned that Matthew Stafford is dust. I'm not concerned this is his final year. I know this is Michael Thomas' final year right. so let's let's talk about the Matthew Stafford injury and how you're evaluating it.
0: Yeah, I think I'm more in line with with you on this one. The start of last year, he had this sprained ligament in his elbow. That hurts every time you throw deep and every time you throw hard, which is most NFL throws. So that probably decreased his performance at baseline throughout the year. But then you add on, he had a couple of concussions. He had also, as you mentioned, the spinal cord contusion. That's very different than what Peyton Manning had. And it's more of, it's almost like a bruise to the nerves, but they recover. So all of Matthew Stafford's injuries, even though it's a beast of a list, should recover well given the amount of time he's had off. So we expect Matthew Stafford to start the season looking like he did in that Super Bowl run, very strong. Now the question with Matthew Stafford for me is, he's a not super mobile pocket QB And in our data, those are very, the health and durability of those guys is very tied to the play of their O-line. That was where the Rams really failed him last year. And you're probably better equipped to answer than I am, but the Rams O-line health is a little bit of a, or uh, stability is a little bit of a question mark there for me.
1: Oh yeah, it's, it's terrifying, right? The Cooper Cup, when healthy, is going to be force-fed targets because he's going to have no time to throw. So it's going to be Cooper Cup on the single cut, Cooper Cup on the double move. It's going to be Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup. But the running game is not going to necessarily be there. Cam Akers is not going to be an efficient runner, though he is going to get fed. And I think that Cam Akers, how he delivers value in fantasy football is as a receiver. And then they don't have Darrell Henderson, that he's going to be catching a lot of dump-offs and a lot of swing passes, and that's going to be the way that he... It delivers value for fantasy footballers. Now, with Matthew Stafford, you're talking about your data on mobility. Can you just talk about the the sports med analytics, like your project, your website, and in the things that you do and how you deliver value for your subscribers and your users?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So with sports med analytics, we uh, a couple years back we formed a team. My own background is in orthopedic sports surgery. And a few years back, I was in the sort of hub of technology in, in residency at Stanford. And I met a couple folks who were more inclined towards computer expertise, data science, and machine learning. So we combined our sort of backgrounds, if you will, and put together these extensive databases, machine learning algorithms to help inform how do players do when they get injured and specifically the timelines that they uh, come back from and the Performance hits and uh, time it takes them to recover their pre-injury performance, and then also their re-injury rates or risk. So that's really what sports med analytics is all about: is using data to analyze injuries for the fantasy football or sports better. And uh, where we can be found is at Twitter at Analysis, but also on online at SportsMedAnalytics.com. So we're really interpreting this data in combination with the football and the medical context as much as possible and we've we've had good success doing that winning our own leagues with this process over the past few years because as you know every almost every player has some level of injury impact on their performance throughout the year
1: injury alert injury alert Terrace Marshall has been carted off Terrace Marshall has been carted off the field. Whenever a guy gets carted off, that's worse than limping off, right? Being helped off, the cart is not good. He he went down in a heap and he's been carted off. So uh, he had the potential to seize this number one job. It was wide open behind you know Adam Thielen as a possession receiver. Maybe not going to command the same targets and and reception totals as Adam Thielen, but anyone behind Adam Thielen was. Wide open to anyone that wants to step up. So that's that's unfortunate. We'll keep monitoring the situation. I don't know if there's anything that you can, uh, any information you have on this now. But that just that literally happened while you were talking. While you were talking. But we, we gotta we gotta continue to talk about quarterbacks and quarterback elbow ligaments in particular because there's a bunch of quarterbacks that had elbow injuries the last couple of years. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about that with Deepak after this. Hey, we've got to talk about Rival Fantasy today. Rival Fantasy, they're a huge supporter of everything we do, the podcast channel, the YouTube channel. It's possible because of Rival, and they have an incredible new offer with promo code PLAYER. Promo code PLAYER, you double your deposit up to $200, and you get $25 in bonus bucks. So it's $225 additional to play in NFL preseason. You can do their props on the fantasy book where it's, Over, under, over, under, over, under, up to five guys. The more over-unders you hit, the higher your payout. And they have their challenges for the community. You can say, hey, I think that Player X is going to go over this many fantasy points. And someone takes you up on it. They take the other side. It's great. I love their fantasy bingo, where you can do five across. You can do four in the corner, black it out. Just predicting fantasy points on your favorite players, especially in preseason. The promo code is PLAYER, where they match your deposit up to $200 plus... Those $25 in bonus bucks. This offer is insane. (laughs) Dak Prescott had an elbow injury. Remember that? Do you think with another year (laughs) removed from that elbow injury, he's going to have more zip on the ball this year?
0: Yeah, I think it's reasonable to say. uh, The elbow injury shouldn't cause a a two-year or one-and-a-half-year performance impact, so I'm not sure that that really explains last year's issue. Uh, however, he did have thumb surgery early on, and you would expect his grip strength at the very least to be affected by that last year, even despite his early return from that. So uh, with Dak Prescott, I, I do think from a physical perspective, he looks better than last year to start this. But from the coaching perspective, it may hurt to lose your OC. So hard to say for the, for me there. I'm, I'm, I'm mostly out on the Cowboys as a result of that. Oh,
1: come on. He, he gained Brandon Cooks. He's we're, we're I'm just looking for any reason to tout Dak Prescott right now, and that, what I'm hearing is good. What I'm hearing is he's gonna he's having for the first time in years a cool, calm, healthy, event-free, injury-free preseason. Right? At every other training camp, it's like oh, Hard Knocks is here. And, and he's, he, he's got this pitching injury. It's like an injury that only pitchers get. Remember that? That was terrifying, man. And then last year's the thumb surgery. It's like he's missed all of this time with the team and not been able to pr- fully participate in training camp since like 2020. And by the way, in 2020, he played seven games. He was the QB1 in fantasy. Put up 27-plus fantasy points per game. That was the last time Dak Prescott had an event-free, stress-free training camp and preseason, and I'm looking forward to that Dak Prescott showing up this year. It looks like Josh Allen has fully recovered from whatever elbow injury he suffered last year. Depending on the the, the legend of Josh Allen, how, how big it gets and who you talk to, I've heard that this guy had a torn ligament. And he was playing through it the whole season. Is, is that even possible?
0: Yeah, it it is possible, but if you look back, when the injury occurred, the games following that, if you watch the tape, you can see he has a more overhead or vertical throwing motion, and that's because the more sidearm motion hurts this ligament more. So he was clearly protecting it, and then you look at his QBR, it dropped by 10 points per game after the injury. And then if you look at his receiver, Stefan Diggs dropped by 40 uh, 40 yards per game uh, after Josh Allen's injury. So I think it very clearly hurt him. He should be fully recovered by now. That ligament's not always one that has to be reconstructed surgically, so we would expect him to be basically functionally fully healed at this point.
1: So you think it was a partial tear?
0: I would think it would be a high-grade partial tear, but obviously one you could play through, but it does impact your performance.
1: Now, what about Brock Purdy? Was that a full tear? Was that a complete tear? Was that like a torn UCL fully, like Tommy John surgery?
0: Uh, Yes, uh, not quite Tommy John surgery, but... But okay. yes, that ligament did completely tear off the bone. And if you look at that video of his injury, it's, it's so drastic. There's no way that ligament could have been intact uh, with the way his elbow bent back. But now what they're commonly doing for uh, players like a Brock Purdy, who otherwise didn't have any injury to this ligament before, is something called a repair with the internal brace. So you may be hearing that in place of your Tommy John for a lot of football quarterbacks. And that allows for a quicker recovery, more like a four to six month return rather than the Tommy John's usually a year. So mm. if you look at baseball data, it's pretty favorable in terms of pitchers regaining their their velocity and their control with throwing. And they actually put more stress on this ligament than Brock Purdy will. So we really expect him to look very strong like his pre-injury form.
1: And Trey Lance is doing himself no favors in preseason, so Trey Lance's looked awful, looked lost. It's the Brock Purdy show. That's what it's going to be. Have they developed new techniques to repair the multi-ligament knee injuries like what Javante Williams suffered? Because it used to be you have to go in, get the ACL repaired, recover, then go in, get the MCL repaired, rehab that. Did they find a way to speed this up? Because I think he avoided the pop altogether this preseason, which stunned me.
0: Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It, it is a really stunning, but really, it's a realistic goal, but it's a very impressive goal that he's met, he's met so far. If you look at the average timeline on this, it takes about 15 months for most for players historically to come back from this. J.K. Dobbins did it in 13. Javante will be at 11 for week one, but he's been sort of cleared at about 10. So that's remarkable in terms of, beating the pace. Everything basically has to go smoothly in his case. I think from his timeline, we can say pretty confidently that they did all of the surgical reconstruction at one time, but with, with that, uh, I I would say that's more commonly the trend in these NFL guys who are looking to beat a deadline. So I, I think that's kind of the way things have shifted over recent years, but maybe not always has been the case.
1: That makes a huge difference. If they could go in and do both, both repairs at once then that would necessarily speed up your timeline. That's interesting information. That's important. That's actionable information. So he could be out there week one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the data on these is still not super promising on the early return in the sense of efficiency sees dips up to even about 20%. And the first three to four weeks from an injury like this tends to be a ramp-up period for number of touches. So are you going to see the pre-injury Javante Williams right away? Probably not. But mid-season onwards, I have a lot of optimism for Javante.
1: So as early as week five, we could see 100% Javante Williams. He could be fully ramped up and acclimated as early as week five.
0: Yeah, that's what the data says. You know, in terms of his efficiency, it predicts more like week eight. But but yes, along that track, for sure. But he's
1: beating everything, man!
0: Deepak, he's beating everything by months! He really is. It's very impressive, and it's a hard guy not to root for at this point.
1: I love him now. I'm going to start drafting him more. This is amazing. He they hit it, get it all done in one surgery. So, Brees Hall, similar timeline, but it almost mm-hmm. feels like Brees Hall has had a less smooth recovery than Javante Williams, even though he only tore the one ligament. But if you, you tear that one ligament and it's not as clean as Javante Williams having two very clean ligament tears, then it's possible that Brees Hall's recovery could be more fraught.
0: Yeah, it's true. You know, with regards to Brees Hall himself, he, he does, our data predicts him as about as favorable as an analytics mold as possible in the sense that he's young. He was 21. He's an elite athlete, 95th percentile combine metrics, and he was drafted pretty high 30, 36 overall for running back is quite high. So, If you look at that in combination and you plug all of those factors into the data, Brees Hall projects as the type of guy who comes back strong. The average ACL causes about an 18 month performance hit. And then with Brees Hall though, you expect him to get past that a little faster than normal. And so we have him at about 85% when he steps onto the field, when that will be is a little bit still in question. I, I would still lean towards it being week one, but, but it's, it's somewhere around a 60, 65% chance, according to historical data, that that is the case. And they're clearly gonna take him along slowly, especially if they have another running back, if Dalvin Cook or somebody signs. So with Brees Hall, you know, it's week six onwards. I'm very optimistic on him, looking like an RB1. That early phase is gonna be a little bit subject to user uh, impact in terms of how the Jets plan to ease him along.
1: Update on Terrace Marshall, an injury update. It was a front seat ride. He rode in the front seat of the cart, not in the back of the cart. That's from Dylan Gibson. He's a Carolina fan in the chat. Any thoughts on front seat versus the back seat and, the, and the, the the bed
0: of the cart? Yeah, I mean, the bed's a little bit worse, I guess, but it's. I don't think you can read a whole lot into that. You still have pretty real injuries in the front seat.
1: That's right. Yeah, front seat doesn't mean you're uh, injury-free by any means. Some of these players that are getting hurt in preseason are always a concern. We haven't had the catastrophic injuries this preseason yet. We haven't had any Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, Travis Etienne's. There was one year we had all three in one year, right? Right. It was a, it was a June, July, August. Every month we were getting a new injury. It's like, oh, bye, Cam Akers, bye, Travis Etienne, bye, J.K. Dobbins. This preseason and training camp we've had a few concerning injuries but most of them are oh this guy's week to week and we believe he's probably going to be ready Mm -hmm. i'm thinking about cooper cup right cooper cup right a major hamstring strain where they had to help him off the field and then they say he's done for the rest of preseason you're not going to see him again and we're hopeful he's going to be ready for week one i hate hearing that but it if it were during the season They would say, oh, this guy's day-to-day. And then we would know he's week-to-week. He would end up missing two games and then come back, not be 100% for the third game. And then after a month, he'd be back to full strength. And Cooper Cup was injured at the very beginning of August. And that means that he can come back at full strength when the season starts. So what is your level of concern, a scale of 1 to 10, on Cooper Cup?
0: On Cooper Cup himself, about a 3 I would say there is a 15% recurrence rate. That is a little bit higher because he's in his thirties, but overall, as you said, the hamstring at this stage for a mild hamstring strain shouldn't really impact him by week one. The key for me with Cooper cup is going to be Matthew Stafford. And can he stay upright? Was it mild? Uh, Well, so based on the timeline, they're saying he's likely returning to the field or practice in the next week to two weeks. So in, in the, during season, about a, a mild hamstring, like a grade one hamstring, you look at as about a two week injury, and in the preseason, you add one to two weeks to it. So you would say if it takes him four weeks to return in the preseason, and he returns well before the season starts, there's not like a pressure to bring him on early, then you would probably pretty confidently call that a grade one, and I would say relatively mild.
1: That's great news. We love Cooper Cup. I still, I'm still drafting. I'm on Ross St. Brown over Cooper Cup. Because of this injury, but it's close. It's very close. It's very, it's it's razor close. And I know you're concerned about Matthew Stafford and the mobility. Uh, that it that is going to Matthew Stafford is terrifying with the lack of mobility and having one of the, if not the worst offensive line in the sport. He's just going to have to get rid of the ball quick, and he's going to have to get to Cooper Cup. That's that's what he's going to have to do. Kenneth Walker is already talking about returning to practice, even though he was supposed to be out a month with Cooper Cup with Kenneth Walker, with a Rashad Bateman. These players force themselves back on the field because they love the sport so much. They're so passionate. They're such dogs that they cannot stay off the field. And it, are, are those some of the, the problems these, these players have? They see They sow the seeds of their own demise by pushing themselves too hard too fast?
0: It definitely depends on the injury type. Muscle strains, things like the Cooper Cup, the Kenneth Walker, or even the now George Kittle and Joe Burrow injuries, you don't want to see those guys rush back because they can feel pretty good and want to come back, and then the re-injury risk is higher if they rush the return. Something like an ACL or a Liz Frank, so Rashad Bateman had the Liz Frank and uh, surgery to remove the hardware afterwards. That is less concerning on an early return but the uh there is an elevated injury risk
1: because that's just like a pain tolerance like hey we took the the screws out it's going to be real sore there but if you can deal with it like it's not a structural uh, integrity concern
0: for the most part yes also there is usually a dip with people's explosiveness when they come off of the Liz Frank so you expect Rashad Bateman to have about a 15 percent hit from that to start the season uh, with a relatively quick recovery. But again, it's a it's a different sort of issue than... I love that.
1: I love you saying that.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm I'm glad to hear that.
1: I'm a big Rashad Bateman fan. You love Rashad Bateman, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I love Zay Flowers more, but I do like Rashad Bateman as well.
1: I also love Zay Flowers. What about Odell? Like, Odell, do you think he's
0: dust? I don't, actually. Odell, I, I think I'm higher on than the average person here. And the reason is that the ACL, even a second ACL, performance dip for him as a really elite guy pre-injury would be an 18-month issue. Week one will be at 19. So you anticipate Odell has actually had enough time, given the year off, to be pretty close to what he was before. Now, any further injury on this knee or in, in general to Odell's leg, that could be considered a career ender potentially. So you have to be a little bit careful there. Uh, with Odell, there's also some question of, was that first surgery really a normal reconstruction, or did they try a repair that didn't work, essentially? So uh, there's a couple of concerns w- with that, but overall, the, the outlook from here on is essentially not too much different than if he had a reconstruction done properly the first time.
1: I think he's going to have a couple weeks where he's going to have you know eight, nine targets like Michael Thomas last year. He's going to look pretty good. Right? He's, going to have, he's going to have some productive weeks, and he's likely, because of the reoccurrence risk, he's likely to have another lower body injury, and that's a wrap. That's a retirement. That's what happens, right? That's how these players retire, more often than not, right?
0: You're not wrong. Like I said, any re-injury to that leg is should be considered a potential career ender, but at this point for Odell, we don't have sort of that overwhelming evidence to say that he can't get back to where he was in that Super Bowl where he... As you know, he looked quite good.
1: Yeah, no, he did look good. And at that point, though, let's say week five, week six, week seven, that's when Rashad Bateman's going to be fully online. Are you worried about Rashad Bateman that he's had so many of these lower body injuries for the first three seasons?
0: I'm not overly worried about Rashad Bateman. Now, in, in terms of his start to the year, I think it'll be a little on the slow side. But as you mentioned, week about six or eight, is when he projects to hit 100%. And in terms of his history, it's not uncommon to have two surgeries for the Liz Frank, one to fix it, one to remove the hardware. So so that's really not outside of the, outside of the typical issue. And then having that cortisone shot uh, a couple months back is not ideal, not what you want to hear. It means the recovery is not going as smoothly as he wanted, but, but certainly doesn't mean he's going to be out or injury prone or anything like that. Was that
1: cortisone shot just to calm down the the area where the screws were?
0: Yeah, very likely the tendons sometimes get irritated in that area. And sometimes underneath you get, because you've had two surgeries, every time you go in, there's more scar tissue that develops. So sometimes you just got to break through that phase of inflammation. And that's really what that cortisone is for, just to make him more comfortable and get him through the, that phase of rehab.
1: Did you see when he returned to the field that he he hugged the field? He he face planted the field and hugged the actual field. You know this guy is this guy's he loves the sport, man. He wants to be out there. He is a great player. He checks all the boxes. He was a prolific college talent. He's was a lot faster actually than anyone expected at the combine. He was a first round pick. He and Zay Flowers are going to be a special special wide receiver tandem for years to come and take the injury discount now while you can get it of all the players we've talked about
0: you don't sound overly concerned about anybody is there anyone you're actually
1: that concerned
0: about well you know with obj i think the concern is pretty real michael thomas as well that they have injuries this year caused cause some missed time uh the guys i would say i'm lower than than the rest of the community is somebody like jonathan taylor now He had a relatively straightforward uh, ankle surgery, so the short-term impact of that isn't expected to be huge. But he's a guy who runs a lot more than he receives. And for a running back, you want that ratio flipped in order to decrease their injury risk because a carry running into usually bigger players hitting you from more chaotic positions uh, is a higher injury risk per play than a reception, which is probably something you end up bracing more for and falling in a more favorable position.
1: That's right. You got more guys coming at you from angles you don't see when you're running the ball as well instead of being out in the open field. It makes sense. I still think that his latest PUP visit was fake. I think he's fully recovered, but you know, just more time to lift weights, right? That's what I think this is. Same thing with JK Dobbins. I would agree like, with that JK. Dobbins, like he, he could be back he could be out there right now, right? These are fake PUP visits they're not actually physically unable to perform at all it's just they're physically unable to get the contracts they want because of the collective bargaining agreement and that's why they're unable to practice
0: yeah i think you're spot on with both of those and there is some reporting out of both camps that has suggested that as well uh specifically i saw one comment on jk dobbins some reporting right (laughs) that it's he has the type of injury that a new contract will fix So. It's pretty much hits the nail on the head right there. And he looked really good at the end of last year. J.K. Dobbins at 100 yards per game, 6.5 yards per carry. Hard to argue that he's going to be, that he's all of a sudden been injured without any real reporting on it.
1: Our producer, Ross Young, is in the chat. Ross, per Deepak, J.K. Dobbins has an injury that a new contract can fix. Okay, That is a great quote that needs to go up on Twitter. Oh, yes. What about Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray has been some funny photos of Kyler wearing the catapult and uh, with, a, with a little pot belly. It's just been funny, right? He's standing off to the side. He's just kind of he's just doing. He's just chilling, man. Like he's just vibing, chilling, uh, rehabbing, I guess. And then you've got Zach Ertz, uh, where his wife has been this was the star really for the last few few months as he's been rehabbing. She's been in the World Cup and looking great. And so so we have Ertz and Murray, both coming back from ACL tears. Do you have any interesting nuggets uh, regarding the the, the Cardinals rehabs?
0: Yeah, for Kyler Murray, I think that's another one where I'm lower than the market on him. He does have elite athleticism, which helps to predict a faster return. But then when you look at guys coming off of an ACL surgery, having a big guaranteed contract and coming back to a really bad team, both project to lower that or, or increase that timeline, delay his return. Right.
1: Yeah, I would. I would slow play it if it were me. Or why
0: wouldn't you, right? I would just make
1: sure. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get in the pool a little bit more.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, and then you look at performance when he does come back. So with all the data factored in, we anticipate week eight to twelve that range for him to be ready to go. Uh, there's a large range of outcomes with him, so it's hard to really pin that down. But if you look at his production when he does come back, you pretty consistently see a decrease in the rushing for position players and for quarterbacks. And then with Kyler Murray at his size looking over offensive linemen that are much taller, guys like Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray talk all the time about having to move around to see lanes for to throw the ball between. And although we can't really quantify it, you have to wonder... If his in-pocket mobility is also going to be a little bit affected when he does come back, and does that therefore affect his passing? I'm really not wanting any piece of Kyler Murray for this year, but I think the next season he looks just like he did pre-injury. So if in Dynasty, I would take the discount, but yes. redraft, I'm passing all the way.
1: Yes. All, all these productive struggle teams, I have Kyler Murray, man, for Dynasty, wheels up in 2024. Per deepak, that's that's the that's the word I love it and Zach Ertz man these guys they, they the Odell Beckham's the Zach Ertz when you have the ACL reconstruction in your 30s well obj was 29 Ertz mm-hmm. is in his 30s how does that matter when you have a young ligament an age 21 ligament regrowth repair versus guys 30 31.
0: Yeah, I think the youth, in in the data, is pretty clear that the youth is a positive factor in terms of how fast the guy recovers his performance and even how fast he returns. They're saying Ertz has a good chance to play week one, and I do buy that. He'll be right around nine, ten months, which is about average. But if you look at his comparison, I would say athletically and age-wise, the best comparison I have for him in the recent memory is Robert Woods, who had a pretty not memorable year last year coming off an ACL. Around the same timeline. So I'm kind of looking at that uh, pretty real performance dip for Ertz, who's not, uh, he's a great player, but not an otherworldly athlete. And he's about 30 bad team all around. Ertz is really a hard fade for me.
1: Hard fade, hard fade. Trey McBride. Trey McBride late. Deepak says Trey McBride late. That's what he's saying. That's what he's, tra- that's the takeaway. Everyone's like, what are the takeaways? We've been giving you takeaways, okay? The takeaway is we're fading Michael Thomas, okay? Michael Thomas is dust. We just we haven't seen it exactly yet, like we've seen it with Allen Robinson. That's a takeaway, man. The takeaway is that Javante Williams is a superhero and he needs his own Marvel movie. That's the takeaway. Cooper Cup's gonna be fine. He's just gonna have a lower target depth because they have no offensive line. That's the takeaway. The takeaway is you want to hoard Kyler Murray in Dynasty if you're rebuilding. That's a takeaway. You're gonna run as far away as you can from Zach Ertz and get all the Trey McBride you can. That's a goddamn takeaway, okay? And I'm telling you, my takeaway is that Dak Prescott's have the 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 least eventful training camp in preseason since his epic 2020 season, and you need to draft him now. My another takeaway. If you, I think we're almost to 10. Want One more, another one, this is where we had other takeaways that we've even talked about, like Brock Purdy, right? Oh, probably the most important takeaway of all, by the way, was that Brock Purdy did not have a traditional Tommy John surgery, just like Javante Williams did not have the traditional multi-ligament sequence of surgeries and recoveries that happened simultaneously. Those are important takeaways that help explain the... Fast recoveries of Brock Purdy and Javante Williams. And another takeaway, yet another takeaway, is this. That you're not going to get a goddamn thing from Kadarius Toney for the rest of his career. Enjoy that one game he had as a rookie where he had like 150 yards. That was like that one blip. That one light in the sky. And then that's a wrap. That's it. Right? I mean... Have you seen enough with Kadarius Tony? You're like, this guy can never get back on the field after he's been hurt to an extent that he's extending all of these injury recoveries weeks past where they should go. At some point, you, as a medical professional, are like, this guy doesn't actually want to be out there. He's more comfortable (laughs) in the training room than he is on the field, right?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I I would never say that about an NFL player. Anybody who's willing to go out there and take those hits – I can't really argue with them. You respect him too much. I do too. I, we respect <laughs> but, him too much. That's right. Y- yeah, a lot of respect here. But a lot of respect. With that being said, uh, you know, Kadarius Tony, he had the recent surgery. That averages about a six-week return without much of a performance hit by week eight. For most players. For most players. For most players. So week one will be seven weeks after that injury. The data would say Kadarius Tony likely out there, likely playing at a high level
1: number one receiver on the chiefs you gotta go get him you got he's not being drafted high enough make sure you get all the canary stone you could possibly possibly hold on your roster man
0: but but you're right you know when you see a guy who's been out missed that much time it's hard to despite what the recent injury says it's it's hard to go in on him so i'm not necessarily picking him up i i do love sky Moore there too so you know that's that's where i'm going with chiefs wide receiver shares
1: Canaris Tony is one of those catastrophic Henry Ruggsian busts from the first round. We're going to see it again with Quentin Johnston this year. There's always one guy every year where it's just like, wait, I can't believe that guy went in the first round. He barely saw the field. He can't play football. He doesn't want to be out there. All these things. There's always one guy. And it was Tony one year, Quentin Johnston the next. Now, the most injury prone player. When you look at running back, look at receiver, look at tight end, who is that guy that you're circling? If you get asked this on like a radio show, this seems like a very radio program, like a real radio. Hey, uh, we got Debo. Who's the most uh, injury-prone player in the NFL?
0: Yeah. Well, there's a couple guys that I considered for this one.
1: Can I? Can I guess? Can I guess?
0: Yeah, please.
1: Elijah Mitchell.
0: I did not consider Elijah Mitchell actually. Okay, that running back position is just injury prone as a position. So a guy who's going to carry a lot is, especially in the Shanahan offense, going to get injured. the The guy who is higher than the rest of the position, at least in our data, is Debo Samuel, and that is because the carries more. He carries more than any other wide receiver, really. So that is it's just more chaotic hits by bigger people, and uh, as a result, has a higher injury risk. His specific distribution puts him at 20% higher than the baseline wide receiver. That's right. Because he's getting a lot of carries. He
1: basically has the increased injury risk of a running back, which is why he also has the highest injury risk on our Injury Finder app. It's the same concept that you guys are looking at. If you take more hits than other players and you have the injury track record, if it's both things, right? If you're B. John Robinson, you're coming in fresh and you're young, you can take a few more hits, and your injury probability is still going to be lower than, say, a Christian McCaffrey, even if you're taking more hits, right? Because Christian McCaffrey has the age and the injury track record, right? That increases his probability of missing games, right? But when you're Debo Samuel and you're playing a type of receiver that no one else plays and you're getting like 20 more carries out of the backfield than any other wide receiver in the NFL, that is going to ratchet up your probability of getting hurt even if you're coming in to the season with a pristine body, right? No injuries in recent memory and been working out with special trainers and special stretchers and everything else and nutrition and all those things. It's like, hey, man, you're volunteering with your play style to have many more collisions with NFL defenders than any other wide receiver, that's just what the data is going to come back and tell us.
0: You're exactly right. And it does give him some upside, too, production-wise. But that that risk, for me, is why I've been avoiding Debo Samuel the last two years in year-long leagues. Uh, the other guys you look at, of course, we talked about OBJ and Michael Thomas, the guy we didn't talk about who could also uh, – uh, any injury – could be potentially a career render is tua and you have to really look at him as a guy who especially any concussion you're looking at probably a four week type of absence at least rather than the standard two uh just because of how profile everything was last year and then he's been injured beyond just the concussions he's been injured about five years in a row now so it's that's a guy unfortunately i really like rooting for tua because he's had such bad luck with the injuries but he's a guy who's who I hope he gets the ball out quickly and I hope that O-line is ready for the challenge.
1: Sure. Can't draft him.
0: If you do, you you draft him with another guy, but you know, you're you're taking at one point in the year I was in one QB leagues, I was thinking Tua plus Brock Purdy is a nice little combo, but now I think you're kind of losing that discount on Purdy and Tua doesn't give you that rushing upside, so you kind of you need to look elsewhere.
1: Tua is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL just in terms of pocket awareness. He takes a lot of blindside hits. It seems like he just doesn't see defenders coming where other quarterbacks, they can sniff it out. Tom Brady most famously, but even Tom Brady had that guy crawling on the ground and hitting his knee and, and then and he tore his ACL. Remember that? That was a dirty play. How dirty was yeah. that play? Oh, that was dirty. The guy in the Chiefs, who was that?
0: I don't know who they made the tackle, but you're right. It was a, uh... It was not what you want to see a blindside hit, but it's exactly like we're talking about with Stafford and with any other QB with a battle line is that you got to get the ball out quick. And even when you do your, those hits rack up.
1: Yeah. I can't believe it people are in the, in the chat asking us how we feel about Dobbins. He's activated. It was a fake injury all along. We reported this weeks ago. He's fine. He's had plenty of time to recover. The contract negotiations are clearly going well because he's now reporting for duty He's been a value for weeks. You should have been drafting him then. He's going to pop one to two rounds for, you know, all the wrong reasons, for just by people not paying attention and not knowing what the hell was actually going on behind the scenes. Like, oh, he's on the pop, he, He's on the PUP. I can't draft this guy. He has PUP next to his name in my draft room. I don't want to draft him right now. He's injured. I don't like drafting injured players this early. Having no idea what was really going on. Deepak knew what was going on. I knew it was going on. And we were drafting J.K. Dobbins, and we'll continue to. Yeah, front seat doesn't mean you're uh, injury-free by any means.